You're listening to Preach the Word with David Ryu, Sermon Archive. Please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, now as we incline our ears to the preaching of your word, we ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes so that we may see wonderful things. Prepare the soil of our hearts so that your word will take root and bear much fruit. And make this sermon most useful for the edification of your bride, your church. We pray all this in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, please open up your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. The sermon this evening comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews 13, 11 to 14. Hear the word of the Lord. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Amen. This was the reading of God's word. The book of Hebrews is regarded by many as a theological masterpiece. If you've ever read it before, you'd be impressed with this beautiful and sophisticated style and its polished arguments for the deity and supremacy of Christ. But Hebrews is most helpful in teaching us to understand and also to interpret the Old Testament as it wonderfully points to Christ as the fulfillment of all the signs and covenants of the past. As such, the author begins the book with this introduction in chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. You see, God's revelations to his people in the Old Testament era foreshadowed and anticipated the redemption that would be accomplished by the incarnate Son of God. This means that all of the events and all of the works of God in the past pointed forward to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And now, to us who live in these last days, we have the special privilege to look backward to the cross, backward in history, to see 
how Christ is truly the culmination of God's eternal plan of redemption. That's the privilege that you and I have here tonight. And so, this Good Friday, we want to remember the events of the suffering and also the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But more than that, we want to understand the meaning of his death within its proper context of the Old Testament. Because only as we supply this context can our understanding of the cross of Christ and his gospel grow deeper. And that's my hope and prayer for all of us, that we would all leave here tonight with a more rich and vibrant understanding and appreciation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in our passage before us, the author of Hebrews writes in verse 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. This is a reference to the Jewish sacrificial system we find in the Old Testament. The slaying of bulls and goats as sin offering were a vital part of the Jewish religious life and community. In the Old Testament, God had commanded the nation of Israel to offer up various kinds of animal sacrifices. Of course, that sounds very odd to us. To the modern man and woman today, the slaying of animals, the shedding of blood, seems so barbaric, it seems so primitive. Why? Why would God prescribe and require such sacrifices? Well, the Bible makes clear that these sacrifices are to be understood symbolically as they demonstrated two very important things. Firstly, sacrifices demonstrated the severity and consequence of sin. Rebellion against the holy God is costly. It will cost you something. The penalty is death. Hence, as the Israelites took a knife and cut the throat of the creature and drained its blood from its lifeless body, it was a picture of the devastating results of their sin. Secondly, sacrifices demonstrated the ransom and atonement for sins. Since the penalty of sin is death, the cleansing and the removal of sin required bloodshed and the payment of a life. And God, in his mercy, provided the means of a substitute animal life for the temporary atonement and cleansing of the defiled sinner. And so as you can imagine, the regular and frequent repetition 
of animal sacrifices as sin offering was extremely important for the Jews. But especially on the 10th day of the seventh month, every single year, the most important sacrifices were made. We call this special day the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And it is on this one day every year that the high priest carried the blood of animals into the most holy place as sin offering, just as we're told in verse 11. Well, what exactly was the most holy place, you might ask? It was the most holy and sacred room in the ancient tabernacle of Moses. In the book of Exodus, we find the Israelites are wandering in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, like nomadic people, and God gave Moses specific instructions how to construct and how to decorate the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the portable earthly dwelling place of God. It was God's tent. That's what it looks like. It's just a tent, a big tent that's fenced around. But the tabernacle was very special to the Israelites because it was the visible reminder of God's presence with them. And it was the center of their entire community as they set up camp around it. And inside the tabernacle, there is a curtain and that curtain separates the most holy place. This room contained the Ark of the Covenant, and no one was allowed to enter this room. It was off limits, too holy. You see, that's why it's called the most holy place. It is most holy because the presence of the holy God filled the room. And because God is so holy, if any unholy or unclean vessel came too close to his presence, they would instantly drop dead. But once a year, on the Day of Atonement, God granted the high priest entrance into this most holy place by means of the blood of animals to make atonement for the sins of the people. This is the most sacred and meaningful day for the Jews because the atonement was made for the forgiveness of the entire nation of Israel. Leviticus chapter 16 describes the elaborate and meticulous instructions for the sacrifices and rituals to be performed on this day. First, the high priest must take a bath with water and then put on some sacred garments. Then he must sacrifice a bull as a sin offering for himself in order to enter into the most holy place and then sprinkle the blood of the animal on the ark. Then he must take two goats one as a sin offering 
and sprinkle its blood again on the ark, the main altar, and the outer parts of the tabernacle. Then for the other goat, the high priest must lay both of his hands on the goat, on its head, and confess over it all the sins of the Israelites. Then he must send the goat out into the wilderness, and then he must wash again. And then finally, he offers up the burnt offerings for himself and for the people. And then the bodies of the sacrificed bull and goat must be taken outside the camp and burned outside the camp. And it was through this very complex and elaborate ceremony that the Israelites found favor in the sight of God and the forgiveness of sins for another year. But to some of you, as you, as you hear about this ceremony, I suppose that all of this might sound just like an ancient religious ritual, and it's quite irrelevant to you. Well, on the contrary, the Day of Atonement is absolutely relevant to us because it is the very context in which we must understand the cross, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is precisely the connection that the author of Hebrews points out. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. Verse 12, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. What the author of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus is the true and ultimate sacrifice that these animal sacrifices merely foreshadowed. Think about the picture of the high priest placing both of his hands on the head of this goat, confessing over it all the sins of the Israelites. All the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites are transferred onto this goat. And then the goat is to be sent outside the camp into the wilderness to suffer and to die. This is where we get the English word scapegoat. The scapegoat is an innocent person who takes the blame and punishment for the wrongdoing of others. And behold, Jesus Christ is the scapegoat who took upon all the sins of the people and was cast away and forsaken by the Father and bearing the full weight of the curse of sin on the cross, the Son of God cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or think of the picture of the high priest sacrificing the animal and taking its body outside the camp to be burned by fire. In the Mosaic law, only what was unclean 
only what was defiled was sent outside the camp. Or it was an act of judgment for the worst of criminals to be exiled, to be excommunicated and sent outside the camp. And behold, Jesus Christ was led out of Jerusalem, outside the city gates, to a place called Golgotha, and was crucified between two criminals. Though guiltless and undefiled, he became unclean by bearing the sins of many and suffering the disgraceful death reserved for the worst of sinners. Or think about the picture of the high priest entering into this most holy place, carrying the blood of animals to make atonement. The substitute life of an animal sanctified the high priest to enter the most holy place, and its blood satisfied the wrath and justice of God that the Israelites incurred for a short time. And behold, Jesus Christ is the true sacrifice that reconciled sinners to the holy God forever. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and, and goats to take away sins. But Jesus suffered outside the city gates to make people holy through his own blood. But not only is Jesus Christ the true sacrifice, but he is also the true high priest. What I mean by this is that he is both the sacrifice and the sacrificer, the one who offers up the sacrifice. As the author of Hebrews puts it in chapter 9 and 10, Christ did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made perfect. Friends, there is no other sacrifice that can atone for us and there is no other mediator between God and mankind Jesus Christ alone is the sacrifice and the sacrificer you see the day of atonement from every angle you look at it it points directly to the man on the cross And it was not a bunch of Roman soldiers that led him outside the camp to be crucified. But it was his willing 
obedience to the Father's plan of redemption that led him to the cross. And it was not some rusty nails that held him to that piece of wood. He could have called down an army of angels to his aid. But it was his love for you, dear brother and sister, that held him to that cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, it brought Jesus great joy to bear the cross in your place and in my place. And the cross of Christ is more than sufficient to cover all of your sins once and for all. The full fury of God and the judgment of God that sinners deserved was unleashed upon Christ. And our mighty Savior swallowed up every ounce of the wrath of God and he declared, it is finished. It is finished. Dear visitors and friends, if you would repent and trust in Christ today as your Lord and Savior, there will be no sin left unforgiven. There will be no penalty left unpaid. And there will be no work of redemption left unfinished. Maybe some of you need to hear this today. That no matter how far you have strayed, you can never be too far gone out of the reach of God's grace. No matter how small or big your sins are, there is no sin that Christ cannot wash away. No matter how much guilt and shame that you feel today, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the promise. This is the promise of the gospel. And so fix your eyes on the cross today and see how depraved you really are. That it took the gruesome death of the precious Son of God to redeem you. But also see how loved you really are. That God would not even spare his own son to have you, to make you his own. Gaze upon the cross and do not look away until you behold the glory, the power, the wisdom, and the grace of God. And if you have come to see and recognize all that Christ has done for you, how shall you respond? 
how shall you respond? Well, it's not enough to come to church. It's not enough to sing songs about what he has done. It's not enough. This Good Friday, it is not enough to just see and to remember the cross. It's not enough. Because there is a call to action. Turn your eyes to verse 13. The author of Hebrews writes, Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. You see, following Jesus means following him outside the camp, where he was rejected, where he was despised. Are you willing to go to him outside the camp? Are you willing to be rejected and despised, to bear the disgrace for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to renounce all comfort and security this world can offer? Are you willing to risk it all and leave everything behind to go where he is? And if Jesus is outside the camp, this is where we must go. Would you rather have the world or would you rather be with Christ? That's the question that you must answer. And yet I see so many professing Christians who happily wear the cross, but they refuse to bear the cross. But Jesus was not joking when he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is a radical call to follow him to your death. To your death. And if you shall live, to live as if you would die for him. You see, Christianity, this is a matter of allegiance. Is your allegiance with Christ? Will you embrace the world and its comforts, or will you embrace Christ and his cross? Well, what does it look like to embrace Christ and his cross? Well, it looks like brave men and women who are ready to lose everything for the sake of Christ because he is worth losing everything for. It looks like humble men and women who are so consumed by the glory of God that they are not consumed with their own. It looks like generous men and women who are obsessed not with buying houses and cars and nice things, but people who are obsessed with advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ to every tribe, nation, and tongue. 
It looks like compassionate men and women who are not moving toward comfort and luxury, but are moving toward need and the kingdom of God. It looks like radical Christians who are going outside the camp, outside the four walls of this church, to the unpopular, to the uncomfortable, to the unsafe places of the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the call to action. This is what it means to be a Christian. And the reason, dear brothers and sisters, that we can attempt great things for God, even if it costs us our own lives, is because we know our destiny is certain. We know that glory awaits. And so the author of Hebrews reminds us in verse 14, For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. This world is quickly perishing and fading away. But the city of God that is to come is eternal and everlasting. And because we know that heaven is home, we can endure whatever hardship, whatever trial comes along the way. C.T. Studd, a missionary in the late 1800s, he devoted his whole life for world evangelization. And he penned this wonderful and beautiful poem entitled, Only One Life, Only One Life. And this poem helps us consider how we shall spend our fleeting lives in this world. It goes like this. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love for further burn, and from the world now let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so, beloved church, this Good Friday, let us consider how we shall spend our ransomed lives. As we look to the cross, let us remember the gracious Savior who died and who rose again to redeem us. But let us also answer the call to action. May your love for Christ be evident in your resolve to live for him 
and to live for his glory alone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, your only Son, on earth to die for us. And all who shall believe in Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we take hold of Christ by faith, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace, for your love, for your resolve to endure the cross. And so, Lord, we want to respond by resolving to live for Christ, to be sent outside the camp. If that means leaving everything behind, the world and its comforts and its securities, to be with Christ, let it be so. Jesus, you are worth losing everything for. And Lord, we know that in the city to come, we will be compensated for everything we have lost and infinitely more in Jesus' name. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you and praise you this day. Pray all this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.